Romans 1, 3 through 4, is our text. I'll, I'll again read, beginning in verse 1. I invite you to follow along. I'm going to read on through verse 7. I was happy this week because I found my, my preaching Bible <laughs> in our stuff. <laughs> so I was like, yay! <laughs> my little one that I can carry. Okay, so yeah, let's begin verse 1. Okay? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have now received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you'll bless it in our lives. Use it. Teach us. Train us. Convict us. Do what you want to do in us today. And help me as I preach it. In Jesus' name, amen. So you remember that Paul here is is really introducing himself to the, to the Romans, to the Roman church, because um, they didn't know him. He had never visited this church. Um, a lot of, most of the churches that he wrote to, he had, he, he had visited or he had planted himself. But Rome, he, didn't, he never visited there. He was wanting to, wanting to visit there. And so... Really, you can see Romans, as, as Paul is really introducing who he is, and then as we go throughout the book, he's really, he's really introducing for us the, the, uh, the teaching, the, the, the gospel, the message that he shares. And in Romans, like I've said before, we get really a full picture of the message, a full picture of the gospel, because Paul is introducing it to them. This is the full comprehensive teaching that I that I teach. And he wanted them, one of the reasons that he was writing to them is he, he not only wanted to visit with them, but he also wanted them to help him to continue on with his missionary activity. So he wasn't just going to go to Rome and stay there. His plan was to actually go even further over to Spain from Rome, which we find out later in the history he doesn't do. God, God didn't allow him to do that. But that was his heartbeat. And so, so he's trying to introduce himself. He's giving them an idea of who he, who he is and what he is teaching. And just, just to, to give us a better understanding of, of what he's uh, saying here. So I want to ask a question of you. Um, if someone came up and asked you, and you don't have to answer this out loud, what is the main focus of North River Community Church? What would your answer be? Or, if someone came up and asked you more of a personal question, what is the main focus of your life? What really drives you? What really motivates you? A long time ago, in 1543, a scientist that we know the name of, we know his name, his name is Nicholas Copernicus. He detailed... 
the, the radical theory that the, the planets, including the earth, revolved around the sun. And that was a very radical in that day because everybody thought, well, everything revolves around the earth. But he is right. That's true. That's what happens. Planets and the earth revolve around the sun in our solar system. And I think that's a, a, God has built in this perfect illustration in our universe, in our own solar system, of how it is with his sun. Not S-U-N, S-O-N. Everything revolves around Jesus. Jesus is central. That's what Paul's saying here. So the answer we would give to somebody who asked us, well, what is the main focus or what ought to be the main focus of North River Community Church? Or what is the main focus of your own life personally? It should be Jesus. He is the focus. And that you find that Jesus is the focus of Paul here. Even at verse 1, look there with me at verse 1. Paul describes himself. We've talked about this already. He describes himself as a servant of Christ Jesus. But for some reason, uh, they translate that a little bit um, uh, wrongly, I think. If, it, if your version is translated servant like mine is, it should be translated slave of Christ Jesus. That means that Jesus Christ was, was Paul's master and he was his slave. Jesus Christ was central to Paul in his personal life. You find that Jesus is central to um, to the Old Testament. We talked about that last week. He says that in verse 2. He's talking about the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He's talking about the Old Testament. And Jesus Christ is central in the Old Testament. He is what the Old Testament is about. Even though it's harder to see him there, he, he is there. Jesus Christ is central also to the message of the gospel of God. You see, the gospel of God is God's message. God's good news to us. And in this message, Jesus Christ is central. He is the main thing. But what what really struck me as I studied this, you look there at the beginning of verse 3. It says that the gospel of God Okay, promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. Then you see the beginning of verse 3. It says, concerning his son. So there it is, right? The gospel is all about Jesus. But what what I was going to say is what really struck me about this is that when we present what the gospel is, what the teaching of the Bible is, which is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we aren't bringing people, well, here's, here's some abstract truth I have for you. Or, here's a list, list of rules I have for you. The gospel is all about abstract truth or, or an abstract philosophy or the Bible is all about a list of rules. And in other religions, you see that. You see it's, it's about, sometimes some of that is pretty abstract in other religions. Abstract um, philosophy or a list of rules or something. But Christianity is unique is that The message that we are bringing people is a message about a person. 
we're bringing people a person. And the thing is, what we're calling people to when we share Christ is calling them to respond to a person. We in our own lives as believers are responding to a person. In John 1, 11 through 13, you can turn over there a little bit, uh, just a few pages over to your left. John is talking about Jesus and he says something interesting about him. John 1, 11 through 13. He's presenting Jesus um, as the Son of God, eternal Son of God. That means that Jesus always existed. But then Jesus came to earth. And then what happened? Well, verse 11 says he came to his own, that means the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. But verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He says those who, who, who believe or those who are born of God, those who become Christians, are those who receive Christ. Welcome him in. We're receiving a person. We are responding to who Jesus is. That the Christian life is, is all about a relationship with Jesus. That's what distinguishes it from just religion. There's a lot of religions out there. And some people think of Christianity as just another religion. But no, no, no. Christianity is all about a personal relationship with Jesus. That's what sets it apart. It's a personal relationship with God himself. So what I want to do in our remaining time together is talk about what is Paul saying about Jesus in Romans 1, 3 through 4. And when you begin to look at those verses, you realize that he's saying a lot of things, really. But all of the things that he's saying really fall under two overarching themes. Okay? So the first theme that he's bringing us here is that Jesus saves us. Jesus is Savior. And that for that... For us who've been in the church a long time, we're like, yeah, we know that. That's... But, but my question is, is, do you respond to him? Do you remember that he is your Savior? Not just at the beginning of your walk with Christ, but every day. We need him to deliver us. So let me just show you a few things here in the text that the way that Paul is describing the Son. So first you see... Um, look with me there, verse 3. The gospel we see is concerning his son. Okay, then it says, who? What is it? How is he describing his son? He was, who was descended from David. Who was descended from David. Well, why, that, why is that significant? Why does he describing Jesus this way? He was descended from David. What he's doing is he's talking about genealogy. He's talking about... Who, who Jesus' grandfather was many, 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 many times removed. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, of getting onto the website Ancestry.com and beginning to look through your family history. 
and researching it. I, I, I have gotten into that in, in the past, and it, it, for me it becomes an addiction. Because <laughs> I get, it, I, I'm really interested in history, and as I'm studying, I'm thinking, man, i, I got to stop doing this, because I, I spend way too much time here researching people that, you know, uh, were around 200 years ago. <laughs> I better stop. This is, you know. Um, but it's interesting, right, to find out where your ancestors were born, or... Um, maybe you find out some information about maybe wars that they were in or where they're maybe where um, like how long ago they were born, where they're from, all those kinds of things. But, you know, our day to day lives don't really hinge on whether we know the name or the city where our great, 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 great grandfather was born. But you find that genealogy is really important in the Bible. You find it at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. You find it toward the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' genealogies. And so here you find a genealogy of Jesus that is not just information, but it's vital to know. Well, why is it vital? Why is it vital for us to know that Jesus was descended from a man, the king, right? King David. It's because God had promised King David back in the Old Testament that his, uh, uh, through his line would come a king whose kingdom would be forever. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 14. 2 Samuel 12, 7, 12 through 14 says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. He's talking to David. This is God talking to David. Who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So we find out that this is God's covenant with David. It's really important to remember. That's, a, that's, that's something we learned in Bible college. It's like, well, what, where's God's covenant with David found? 2 Samuel 7. That's where God made that covenant with David that his offspring would be none other than the Messiah. The Messiah himself. So this means, so the, the, the fact of him being the Messiah means that he, the idea of the Messiah is that somebody, a king chosen by God who would save his people. So this is pointing to the fact that Jesus saves us. But then you see another phrase going on here. David, right, who was descended from David. Now he's descended according to the flesh. Well, the Bible uses flesh in a lot of different ways. But here it's just simply speaking that Jesus was fully human. He was a man. Just like us. He was a human. But not just like us in another sense, right? But he was like us in that he was a human. So we see that and that he belonged, actually belonged to a genealogical line of David. He was born into this line. But he was full of human. So some, some throughout the history have tried to undermine this or de-emphasize it. No, no, how could, how could the Son of God, Jesus, be human? But he was. 
Sometimes this gets reflected in paintings that maybe you've seen of Jesus. I know I've seen some paintings that Jesus looks more like a ghost than he does actual man. There was a teaching that Jesus, a false teaching that Jesus maybe was just a spirit that looked like a man. But Jesus was fully man, and this is important for us for two reasons. One is that Jesus lived the perfect human life as a man we couldn't live. Second is he died the human death we should have died, bearing our sins. In, in Romans 5, it says, later on, Paul really lays this out. Um, Romans 5.19 talks about Jesus' perfect life. You can turn over there just a few uh, pages. Romans 5.19, it talks about Jesus' perfect life and Adam's imperfect life. We are like Adam. We are sinful but Jesus lived a perfect life. For as by the one man's disobedience, that's Adam, and that's also us, the many were made sinners. That's, well, that's us there. So the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So by Jesus' obedience, that's Jesus there, we are ourselves made righteous. He lived the perfect life, and what we're called to do is place our faith in him. And that perfect life is credited to our account. God sees Jesus' perfect life and doesn't see our flawed, sinful, imperfect life. So he accepts us because he sees Jesus' perfect life. So then you find that Jesus, you just flip over a couple more pages in Romans 8, 1 through 2, and you find... This wonderful statement, Romans 8, verses 1 through 2, there, well, it goes on after, further than that, we'll read that. There, okay, start in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, here it is, he condemned sin in the flesh. So Jesus died on the cross, and our sins were laid on him, and God condemned Jesus in the flesh. So we wouldn't have to be condemned and judged for our sins. God judged Jesus so we could be freed from God's Judgment. That's just an amazing truth. So there's a, lot, there's a lot that's really being said in that little phrase that Paul says at Romans 1, according to the flesh. Okay, then you find, just a little later on, let's go back to Romans 1. He says, now here's something else he's saying. He was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So now Paul is talking about the resurrection. So, and he's calling him now the Son of God. Like I said with the kids, that means that Jesus is fully God. He's fully man and fully God. Being fully man, he could identify with us and save us. 
Our sin was laid on him. Being fully God then, he was powerful enough to save us. Just to, if he was just a man, he wouldn't be powerful enough to save us. But because he's a man, he's powerful enough to save us. And so what is happening here is that by his resurrection, God is declaring through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. God is declaring that Jesus is truly the Son of God. He's truly fully God and he's truly powerful enough to save you. He is the Son of God. He is fully God and he is powerful enough to save us. His work is sufficient for us. And then even just like I was telling them, the kids, then you see the name Jesus Christ, our Lord. There at the very end of verse 4. Jesus then, the name Jesus is the Greek name of the word, we, the name we read in the Old Testament, Joshua. In fact, it would be pronounced in Hebrews, Yeshua. So Jesus would have been called, not Jesus, and maybe if a Greek person was talking to him, but with Jewish people talking to him, they would have called him Yeshua, Yeshua. But it's significant in that Yeshua, or we, 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 call, we say Joshua, is the meaning of that name is that God saves, or Yahweh saves. Isn't that interesting? Then the, when, when Mary, when, when the birth was announced to Mary in Matthew 1, 21, the angel said, call his name Jesus. Why? Well, because he will save his people from their sins. He was supposed to be called that. That was his name. That is still his name. And we praise the name of Jesus, or Yeshua. So we see that Jesus is our precious, precious Savior who saves us from what? What do we need to be saved from? We need to be saved. The most important thing we need to be saved from is our sin and from death. Sin and death. Death will come unless Jesus comes back first for all of us. But death isn't final. It's not the final word. Eternal life is the final word. Our spirits will go to be with Jesus when we die. And someday our bodies will be resurrected. Isn't that amazing? So I've told the story of the next day after the flood. I think I probably shared this with all of you. But I, I told the story of, I've told it uh, about how you, how we, we after the flood we were, um, the next day, I went down to, I was living there at, um, at Jerry Myrtle's house and I went down to, to see the damage and see how high the water got and everything at our house and the church. And so I borrowed waders from Jim Welch, waded through the, the water up to my waist to get to the church and the parsonage. I went into the parsonage, wandered around the house, assessing the damage, and I kept hearing this low whining noise coming from above. And I was like, what in the world is that? It almost sounded like a little beeping or something happening, like a beep. But I was just not hearing it right. But I finally realized that as I got closer to the sound that it was our cat on the roof. She had climbed up on the roof as the, wa- the floodwaters came, and there she was waiting for somebody to rescue her. <laughs> Just meowing, meowing, because she heard me. 
And so I went out on the deck, which was floating on the water, <laughs> and kind of, kind of, you know, was on it like a dock. Put a put a little uh, one of the kids' little picnic tables on, you know, just kind of moved it over next to the house. Stepped on that, which was kind of um, not very uh, safe. And then and then just stood by the the house. And there's and she came, and I called her over. She came right by the ed- to the edge of the, the the roof. There I was holding out my hands to her. Come on, kitty, kitty, kitty. She wouldn't come. She wouldn't come. Meowing, 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 but she wouldn't come. So finally I had to just grab her. And then of course she was clawing and everything, but she finally settled down. There I was, ready to save her. But she didn't want to come. She wasn't, for whatever reason, she wasn't trusting me. So I had to grab her. So we know that God saves us once and for all when we first become Christians. But every day we really need God to deliver us from sin in our lives. And so it takes this just like to to not be like that cat on the roof. God is poised to save us, to deliver us. And we need to be willing to jump into his arms. And it takes humility and it takes trust to look to God because we get independent and we, we, we pretend we can handle it all. When God is saying here, you can't handle it all. You need me every day. So allow me to deliver you, to help you. We need to take sin seriously. Not just shrug sin off, like it's not that big a deal. Um, I, think if, I think oftentimes as people, we think, well, if I'm avoiding the big sins, the big, big things, then I'm fine. But really, God wants to, to, make, to make, make us more like Jesus. So he even wants to deal with the things that we see as not, a, not that big a deal. He wants to deal with the things we see as small sins. But we need to see those things as a big deal to God, too, because he, Jesus died for even the, even the small sins. Jesus was hung on the cross and suffered even for the small sins. And so we need to bring those before the Lord and ask the Lord to help us to deliver, to deliver us from any and all sin in our lives, to help us. Now, we're not going to ever be, reach perfection in this life, but he wants us to, to keep growing closer to him, keep becoming more like Jesus. Asking, that, but we need the Lord to help us. I found this in my own life. We can't fight sin on our own. We need the Lord's help to deliver us. From the sin in our lives. Every day. He, thank, I'm so thankful that He is my Savior from the beginning of my Christian life and every day. He saves me from myself and my sin, sinful self. So we need Him. We can trust that He will, he will help us. He's poised, ready. We just have to trust Him and look to Him. But it takes humility. We've got to get rid of some of that independence that we like to have. We're thinking we can do it on our own. Well, we can't. So here's the second theme we see. is Jesus is not only Savior, but He's Lord over us. So I'm just real quickly going to go back through those phrases and show you how He's also called Lord. So we find, right, we talked about He's descended from David. He's the Messiah. So that means He's the King. And as the king, the king of the universe, 
He has the authority over our lives. He is the Son of God in power. We saw that by his resurrection from the dead. That also means that he, that means he's fully God, and as fully God, he has the authority over our lives. He, Jesus, not as God, created us. And as, as our creator, we, he has authority over our lives. You know, often we think of God creating us, but not only God, but God the Father, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit were all involved in the act of creation. And so we are created, we are creatures, and, and he is our creator. That means we're dependent on him. And we ought to be obedient to him. Now we see Jesus Christ, the end of verse 4, is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now what's interesting about, now we're used to calling Jesus Lord, but what's interesting about that term Lord, that title Lord, is that that was only really, that was only used for God in the Old Testament. God was Lord. That means he was master over our lives. So in Paul applying this phrase to Jesus he is saying a huge thing. He's again making the statement, Jesus has the authority to be called Lord. That means Jesus is fully God and he has authority over our lives. And so Jesus, so he's, he's telling you, he's, he's Lord. And he's, we call him Lord because he was, God confirmed that he was Lord through his resurrection from the dead. God is confirming Jesus as being God. By rising him from the, raising him from the dead. So we see Jesus has authority over our lives. That means when we first come to Christ, we come to him not only to trust him as Savior, we trust him as Lord. We say, Lord, here's my life. I want to follow you now. I want to obey you now. I remember the first time that I flew in an airplane. I was flying out of Spokane to... Uh, uh, to Colorado with my mom when I was 13. And as we, we left, as we, uh, we sat there w- and waited for the plane to take off, I, I remember I saw the pilots, and I remember thinking, man, they look so distinguished. They look really, you know, uh, it's neat to, neat to see them. Man, I, maybe someday I want to be a pilot. I kind of thought that in that way back then. And, um, but when you sit there, you know, you're, you're, you're really putting yourself in the pilot's hands. You're not doing anything. You're just allowing him to fly the plane. I think that's why it's far hard for some people to fly because it's hard to want to let somebody else do that. You'd rather drive because then I'm, I'm in control, right? Rather than let somebody fly us somewhere. Um, it can be hard. But it's a good picture of how we respond to Christ's lordship. Are you letting him be in the pilot seat or are you wanting to control everything and lead your own life or are you going to let him lead your life? Sometimes he'll lead your life in a way you, you know, he'll take you in places you never would have gone all on your own. That's for sure. But there's that again, that humility to, to submit your life to Jesus and say, Lord, wherever you want me to go, I will go. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. It's, we can... We need to watch our hearts in, in this because it's easy for us to want to um, 
to, to want to make decisions throughout the day. We make a decision without really consulting the Lord. Lord, is this what you want me to do today? Even in small decisions, Lord, is this what you want me to do today? Is this what you have for me today? Submitting our decisions to the Lord. It's easy for us to want to lead our own lives. We have to humble ourselves okay and say, Lord, no, you lead. No, Lord, we submit all our decisions and we submit whatever the direction of our life to you. Lord, you lead me. You show me. And he will. He promises to lead us and guide us and direct our steps. But it takes us saying, okay, Lord, I don't want to, do, I don't want to lead my life. You are the best one to lead it. You lead. You help me. So we respond to Jesus, right? like I said before, as a person. Well, who is he? Well, he's Savior and he's Lord. So we respond to him in those ways. We cry out to God, Lord, save me. We cry out to God, Lord, lead me, direct me. I need you. Both those, both those uh, exclamations of help, Lord, help, help save me, deliver me, Lord, Lead my life. All of that is an expression of faith and trust in the Lord. So we need to ask the Lord to help us to trust Him more. To trust Him. To do the work that only He can do in our lives. To be willing to humble ourselves and cry out to Him. So let's spend a few moments praying and Asking Lord to help us in this area. Lord, I, I, Lord, you thank you so much that you recognize who we are and how much we need you. Lord, we need you to save us every day. We need you to deliver us from, from our sins. To deliver us, help us. We need you to lead us, Lord. We need your leadership. We need, help us to obey you as well, Lord. So we ask that you grow us in our faith, that we will submit everything to you. Humble us, humble us, humble our pride, Lord. Help us to look to you in humility. Thank you for who you are, Lord, in our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.